3: Program It's Friday, that means we've made it through the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. We got some of those questions that just came in. Um, whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 630 K-S-L-R, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free K-S-L-R mobile app. Uh, hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our our studio producer. Hey, thanks for tuning in. we got some stuff going on tonight. Uh, Pastor Ken is actually going to be teaching uh, in the Gospel of John, I think starting in chapter 1, uh, verse 14 tonight. Um, That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch that at calvarysa.com. And on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching, um, opening the book of Acts, chapter 21. I'm going to do the first 15 verses. Um, I love that study, by the way. So uh, that's coming up this weekend. It is Communion Sunday here. I know it's also Communion Sunday in a lot of your churches. Uh, Never forget what an honor and a privilege it is um, to be able to partake at the Lord's table. You know, we're to think about two things that... Communion forces us to think about what God has done for us. He died that we could live. Instead of us being punished for our sins, he took the punishment, the wrath of God. But he also said that we're to look forward, not just look back. The old is gone, the new has come, but we look back with a grateful heart, but we look forward in anticipation, remembering that the Lord is going to return. So Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday, and um, hope you enjoy it wherever you are and wherever you are at church. Well, let me get to some questions. We've had some um, difficult ones sent in, so let me, let me start with this. Um, I don't want to start with that one. In a moment, I'm going to have a question about sex, so uh, you may want to turn your car radios down if you have children in the area. Here's the first one, and this one is from Joe. And he says, Pastor Ron, I love that the holidays are coming because it gives me the opportunity to minister to my family members um, about that. Please elaborate on these three questions. Thank you. Question one is, are we allowed to invite unbelieving family members to our house, including family members who are living in sin? Um, Joe, I, I think family members ought to be invited. This isn't a thing where it's somebody that's living with you and you're giving approval to their lifestyle. But this is an opportunity for you to witness. So always invite unbelievers, family or otherwise, always invite them. Now, they can't stay at your house and you understand all of that. But the idea here is that uh, they need to hear the gospel. They need to see a Christian who's living with a grateful heart towards God for the things that he's done. And so uh, holidays, I think, are, are are divinely appointed times by the Lord where they will come into our house. You get to kind of set the rules. And by that, I mean you get to pray for the meal. You get to thank God. Uh, and you, you don't have to preach to them. Uh, All you have to do is let your light so shine before men, before your family members, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And the Holy Spirit will use that. So yes, please invite unbelieving family members to your house. Uh, The second question is, my son is a girlfriend that he lives with. Is it okay to allow him to come over for the holidays? I told my son he can come out, but not her. My wife thinks I'm wrong because he feels like it's no different than inviting unbelieving family members. Um, I, 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 I mostly agree with your wife, but here's the one thing. Your son and his girlfriend cannot stay at your house together. And, and that's probably going to kill the whole deal because that's what they're going to expect is going to happen. And the way to describe that is simply to say, look, this house belongs to the Lord. And so we cannot allow sinful activity. Now, if your son and his girlfriend are just coming over to visit, they're going to stay in a hotel. They know how you feel about it. You still get the opportunity to share Jesus, but certainly they cannot stay together at night in your home. Other than that, remember, son or not, he is an unbeliever. I think Paul and I spoke about this briefly yesterday. Um, We, uh, when when our sons wanted to move in with their girlfriends, we simply told them that they know it's wrong, we know it's wrong, and we can't do anything that is going to give them any kind of an impression that we're okay with it. This is who we are. Our house belongs to the Lord. So we wouldn't let them come and spend the night either. But the idea that your son and his girlfriend can come by, treat them like any unbeliever. doesn't matter that he's blood. Treat him like any unbeliever. But again, I want to emphasize, certainly they cannot stay together in your home. hope that makes sense to you, Joe. And third, his question is, my cousin is gay and I want to invite him over, but I plan to tell him that his boyfriend cannot come over. Am I wrong for that? Now, here's a case where I don't think you're wrong, for this one, Joe, um, your relative, your cousin, is gay, and you want him to come over for the holidays. But but the idea that you are condoning a same sex relationship, I think, is is uh, is where we draw the line. So uh, if if his boyfriend wants to come over, they're not going to be all over each other, holding hands or or acting like they're in love. Um, then then they need to hear the gospel as well. But uh, if they're just coming over for the afternoon, they understand who you are and what you believe. Now, these are hard ones because initially it would seem like I'm treating your son with a girlfriend differently than the cousin who's gay. Remember something. No heterosexual couple is trying to force the rest of the world to accept their sexual relationship. But that's not what's happening with the LGBTQ people. They want... To bring their relationship to the forefront, they demand to be affirmed and accepted, and you can't do that. I don't know what your cousin is like or what his boyfriend is like, uh, but you're in the best position, Joe, to make that um, decision based on who they are and what you expect. Inviting them over. Sinners are always welcome in the house of God. Um, Sinners should always be welcome in the people of God's homes. What they cannot bring with them is their sin. So I hope that makes sense to you, Joe. Thank you for coming, uh, for for sending the question. You know we have an awful lot of people who are going to be dealing with these kind of issues over the holidays uh, starting this month. Here's a question anonymously. This is the one that I mentioned was about sex. Uh, my pastor, on you spoke on Wednesday about a sexual balance in the marriage. Uh, From an applicable perspective, how many times a week is a balance? My husband is very respectful to my decisions, but I do not have a sexual desire like he does. I tell my husband once every other week, but he says two to three times a week, besides when I'm on my period. What is the balance? Anonymous... um, I, I've, I read this question to Paula earlier and asked her to to prayerfully consider it. And maybe we'll deal with this in next Thursday's date day show. Um, but a couple of things that I want you to understand: um, the way your question is framed, it's as though you and your husband are both trying to please only yourselves. Now, here's what you need to remember: the gift of your body to your husband, the gift of his body to you, is just that—it's a gift. It is a gift. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And you're not to say no. Um, you know, the balance, I think, will work out. But as long as this contention is in the relationship, I think it, it causes people to dig in. Um, I love the fact that you said your husband is is uh, respectful uh, about this. Um, but, but the idea here is... If your body's not your own, your responsibility is to please your husband. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel. And the same thing is true the other direction. Um, When your husband wants to have sex more often than you do, then the answer is, well, I'm here to please you. And If he's being reasonable and two to three times a week seems like he's being reasonable. I spoke Wednesday night about exercising self control in the marriage. And um, I think he's exercising self control. He's not being unkind about it. Um, That you said again, he's very respectful to your decisions. Um, You need to be more inviting. I never know whether to say this or not. I I can say this. Um, I don't know um, if... You can tell I'm struggling for words. Uh, I, I don't remember Paula ever refusing me. And for the first part of our marriage, I was a jerk. And yet, it's something that God put in her heart to do. She was trained to win me to Christ. I love Ron. Will you help me use you to love him to me? And and I think this is one of those things. But remember, we've got the wrong ideas about sexual activity. Our, our sexual intimacy is to please your husband. His is to please you. And it needs to be a selfless act. I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and one of the things that I talk about is the selflessness. I talk about the holiness of sex, the, the the selflessness of sex, and then the passion in sex. And here's what I think would happen, Anonymous, if you would surrender your body to the Lord. And, and, and the way to do that, of course, is surrendering your body to your husband. I think the Lord would probably change your perspective on sex altogether. Again, two to three times a week is not being unreasonable. I think what you would need to do is really spend some time in prayer. Lord, why do I not want to please him? And I, I understand you don't feel like it. Um your sex drive and his are different. I understand all of that. But your body's not your own, it belongs to the husband. His body is not his own, it belongs to you. And God wants the sexual relationship. To be enjoyable, he wants it to be pleasurable and passionate. And I think we just forget that. And and the approach that I'm reading, sort of between the lines, is that you're approaching the sexual relationship um, rather than selflessly. You're approaching it selfishly. Now, if there are reasons that you don't want to have sex with your husband, then you need to talk to him about it. You really need to talk to him about it. We do a lot of counseling here, and I can't tell you how many times I've told men, hey, take a shower. Smell good. Be clean. Um, but but if there are no reasons other than, well, my sex drive is not as 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 high as his, um, then you've got to die to yourself. Remember, he should be concerned in the sexual act only pleasing you. And you should be concerned only about pleasing Him. And when you do that, that's when the Holy Spirit takes over. And believe me, both of you will end up being pleased. But it's really important. Now, for those of you in the audience who are wondering, well, why did I talk about such on Wednesday night study? Uh, Leviticus chapter 18 was all and only about our sexual um, um, Performance, our, our 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 human sexuality, and um, the Bible is very specific about these things and covers them. So remember, holiness, selflessness, and passion; those are the three things that God wants in your sexual relationship. So I hope that answers your question. If not, please, please, please. Um, um, Reframe your question so I can get it. But again, if there are reasons, besides I don't feel like it, if there are reasons for that, maybe he's not um, romancing you enough. Uh, Maybe there are other things going on in the marriage um, that, that makes you not want to be vulnerable to him. I don't know, but talk about those things because Jesus wants to change all of this. He really does Want, and I would add, expect that the relationship between a husband and a wife would be a relationship that is filled with passion and joy. And let me add one more term. I said holy, selfless, passionate. Let me also add playful. It ought to be fun. It ought to be fun. Thanks very, very much. Please follow through three four zero ninety five eighty five. People are probably saying what will you pastors do counseling like this? We do counseling like this all the time. God will deal with all of our stuff. Here is a question with no name, so I'm assuming it's just anonymous. The statement is I'm having trouble giving a personal situation over to the Lord. Everyone I talk to says, take your eyes off yourself and instead look at God, trust God and be still. I also think God may be telling me uh, this as well, but I feel like I don't even know how to do that. What would be my first step in giving this over to God? I find myself worrying all day long, so it seems impossible to me. I understand your anxiety over this. Uh, Worry is something that people do. Uh, Paula was mentioning yesterday, we we did a Bible study on worry many, many years ago when we started uh, here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, when ladies said, well, I don't care what you say, I'm going to worry, well, that's a choice we make. I mean, just look in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible study program, you can do this easily easily. Count the do not be afraids or the do not worry or be anxious for nothing comments. Jesus says them over and over and over because he really wants you to let him take care of the things that you're worried about. Now, the how-to is simple. It's faith and the friends that you're sharing with. They're giving you really great counsel, and I think you're discerning that this is the Holy Spirit, using them to speak to your heart about trusting the Lord. That's all faith is. It's active trust. And here's one of the things. Let me two things. And this is a number I made up. This is just based on my own experience. 80% of the stuff that we worry about never happens. 80%. That means we're wasting an overwhelming amount of time in our lives um, unnecessarily. And believe me, the devil is going to use that. He knows how to push all of your worry buttons, and he's going to use that. So that's really important. The other thing I want you to, to be honest about is consider, has worrying about anything ever made anything better? And the answer to that question is also no. I know that to be true. So here's what we do. We make a decision. I'm going to trust God. Now, I'm going to guess, and this isn't a criticism at all, but I'm going to guess that you're not regularly or consistently reading your Bible systematically. See, the Word will introduce you to who Jesus is. The Word will make you great and glorious promises. I'm not talking about just those uh, plaque or refrigerator magnet verses, but I'm talking about all of the promises that God has made. If God is for me, who can be against me? If, if something appears to be in opposition to me, then how, why would I worry about it if God says he's for me? Those are the kind of things that, that active trust, and that's what practical faith is, it's active trust. I'm not talking here about the faith that it saves. It's interesting to me that people will trust God for their eternal souls, but they won't trust God for Friday or tomorrow, Saturday. Because every day there's always something to come up and worry about. So this is one of those things. You've got to immerse yourself in the Word. And as you are reading the Word, I promise you the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you. And you've got to sort of meditate on those promises and ask God to write them in your heart. So these aren't Bible verses. Once again, I'm going to mention something Paul and I spoke about yesterday. She was talking about Romans 8.28 at one point. And it, it really causes me a great deal of pain that Romans eight twenty eight is a verse everybody knows. We've got it written on these plaques on our walls. Um, in our Bibles, we've got it highlighted or underlined. And yet, that's all it is. It's a Bible verse. And what we've got to recognize is that it's true in our lives. It's true in our lives. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So you stop there and say, God, do I really love you? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. God, am I demonstrating my love by being obedient? Paul says it were to sow to the spirit and not the flesh. We can say, Lord, am I in my flesh? And obviously, when you're consumed by worry, it's flesh. It's not spirit. So those are things that you have to deal with in your relationship with the Lord. And then you just give God a chance to show off. Too often worriers, they'll worry and worry and worry, and then they'll take matters into their own hands, and then things get worse and they worry even more. But what we've got to do is give the Lord a chance to come through for us, to demonstrate to us, to prove it beyond any doubt, that He really does love you, that He really is with you, and that He's the one who's in charge. He is... Paul writes, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And when we worry about something, and, and no matter how hard we try, we keep worrying about something, Um, we're, we're act practically living as though we're the ones who are responsible to finish the work. Yeah, God, you started it, but I'll take over now. So here's what you've got to do, and I hate clichés, Uh, I'm not going to tell you let go and let God, but here's what I'm going to tell you. You hang out with Jesus, and he will give you a peace that passes understanding. But understand something that's very important. You have given the enemy a foothold in this area of worrying about things. You've given him a foothold. And because you have, he is going to be relentless. So this is something you're going to have to over and over and over, maybe many times throughout the day, you're going to have to remember the promise that you made. Lord, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust in you. And then every time worry starts to creep back in, remember he's the one, the devil, pushing the buttons. Every time you start to worry again, you've got to say, okay, Lord, I just told you I wasn't going to worry about that. And here I am. It's in my mind again. So I'm going to give it to you again. Over and over and over. One final thing that I think you need to do when you're in the Word and you're meditating on those verses, those promises of God. When I say in the Word, systematically reading through. Let me give you a a direction. Read Philippians. It's not long. Read it ten times this weekend. Read it ten times. And as you meditate on the promises of God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible with God. The peace of God that passes understanding is available to me. When the Holy Spirit really, really speaks to your heart about those things, then get out a piece of paper somewhere and write it down, I will not worry. God spoke this to my heart. And then write the date, write the time, and sign it and keep that in your Bible so that every time you start worrying again, you can pull it out and you can say, oh yeah, I've already settled that. I'm not going to let the enemy steal my joy through worry or anxiety. Instead, Jesus, today, I'm going to trust you. And you do this consistently enough then the spirit of God will take over, but it's something that's really important, and um, because you you already declare that you think God is speaking to you, uh, along with your friends or even through your friends, um, hang in there. Trust God. And get ready for a fight because the enemy's not going to let you go. Easily. You know, the enemy is the least original being in the world. He just keeps doing what works. So you shut this door, and he'll try to find something else. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our program. I don't beg for callers, but I'm going to have to deal with an ugly question right now. So please call if you've got a question, 340-9585. Or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, as I read this um, comment slash question, um, understand that when i on a program like this, I only get one side of an issue. Uh, and I have to deal with it as though it is completely true. Um, so um, um, there's always two sides to the story, uh, we're only getting one. Uh, So my response is going to be predicated on that principle. She writes, My husband says he struggles with wanting to be single. I've heard him tell brothers and sisters of our church how he doesn't want to be married, and that it's because of me, how I'm the one that wants to have the marriage, the kids, and I'm the one that pursues the intimacy, uh, how I don't leave him alone. I feel like he makes me look desperate. He's also told our 11-year-old while watching football, this is better than marriage. His actions and him calling me a contentious wife when I just want to feel as where one has got me not wanting to be married anymore. I've been feeling Myself pushing away from him and confused about everything. He's always blaming me and telling me I'm just prideful. Yet I'm the one that walks away and stays quiet during arguments because I don't want to argue in front of the kids. Nor do I want him calling me names because I get so deep in my flesh. I'm ready to turn Hulk, in quotes, on him. Never never do that. Please help me understand how can someone be saved and involved in church feel this way about a marriage that Jesus wants. How can... Um, I persevere through living with a spouse who, or how can anyone persevere through living with a spouse who doesn't want you? Um, if this is true at face value, I always say, um, you know, being married to a jerk is not grounds for divorce. Um, if that were the case, Paula never would have stayed with me, um, um, Your husband's behaving like a jerk. Now, if this man was in counseling in front of me, I would ask him, if these things are true, I would ask him what makes him think he's saved. A real Christian simply cannot act this way. And and, and I think this is urgent. Get pastoral counseling. When you say your husband goes to church and he tells brothers and sisters in church all these things, I'm telling you, if, if if that church was a well-taught church, those people ought then to tell him to repent of his sin. And they ought to be the ones who are talking to him. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. But you and your husband desperately need to get into marriage counseling. You need to do it not only for your sake, uh, for your the, the sake of your relationship with the Lord, but also uh, for the sake of your 11-year-old son who's listening, who's watching him say all these things. Let me say one thing. My dad, one time my mom and dad were arguing in the car. We were getting ready to go to a Little League baseball game. My dad was a coach. And so I'm out in the car waiting, and, and I can hear him yelling, and my dad got in the car, slammed the door. And then he said horrible, horrible things about my mom. And that had such a profound impact on me. And your husband needs to know that the example he's setting for your son is inexcusable. And the reason that you deal with issues like this is because husbands and wives aren't talking. It's clear, again, if all of this is true. That your husband doesn't want anything to do with Jesus' concept of marriage. So how can a real believer? I always treat people, if they're acting like an unbeliever, I treat them like an unbeliever. And again, if this man was sitting in my office being counseled, my first thing would be, what makes you think you're a Christian? You promised Jesus to love, to cherish, to honor, to obey this woman. You're his personal representative. How do you think you're doing? Now, if your husband won't go to marriage counseling, tell him, then I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell the people, not not the church, you're not gossiping, but I'm going to go tell the, the pastor that I'm counseling with that this is who you are. So you can expect a call from him. If we had a husband who was coming to church pretending like everything was fine, And in counseling, we found out that wasn't the case. I would call that man. Even if he wouldn't come to counseling, I would call him. Or one of my pastors would. So this is just inexcusable. There's no excuse for it. There's no excuse. Now, let me also say this. You never have an excuse to sin because of his sin. So even the thought of going all hulk on him, I understand the frustration. I understand the anger that wells up. But you've got to deal with the anger by turning to the Spirit of God. And and when you're the most angry, that's when you need to be in prayer for your husband the most. Cry out to God. Let him be your husband. He's a better husband than your husband is. So run to him. Let him satisfy your needs. Let him... Be your focus. And too often, all you can think about is what your husband's doing, the things that he's saying, the way that you feel. Get your eyes, spiritually speaking, off of how you feel and instead into the person the presence of Jesus Christ. You can't change your husband. I promise you, Jesus can. So give him to the Lord. And you just run to Jesus. He'll be the one that covers. His grace really is sufficient. It will still be painful. But that's what an unequally yoked marriage is all about. Do not let his sin cause you to sin as well. So that's the best I can do with one side of the story, but, but is that important. It's that important. Let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line one. Anonymous on line two, please hold. I'll get to you as soon as I can. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Good pleasure, Pastor Ron. Like always, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um,
3: I have a question,
2: um, which I kind of think I may know the answer to already. I don't know your personal beliefs on this. I don't think I've ever... Heard you speak on it, but um, do you believe in the paranormal?
3: Uh, You mean like ghosts and that kind of thing?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, let me just tell you what happened. I, I don't know. I got sick Wednesday and pretty much yesterday. I was like completely just... I didn't remember what I did. I don't remember talking to people that I, that people said I spoke to them. But in the middle of the night, I woke up and, um, I went to the kitchen and there was a a rocking chair that belonged to my dad. And then it started moving. Um, I don't know if it was paranormal activity or if it was just a lack of (laughs) of medicine that I was taking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. or oh, the enemy, enemy enemy was just trying to you know trying to scare me in my weakest points nonetheless I just I I prayed against it and went to sleep yeah. so you know I was just wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah
3: I, I, obviously Reuben we believe in demonic spirits um, um but not in ghosts um Jesus is in charge of the spirit world Uh, He gives uh, a a pretty long leash at times to demon spirits, but, uh, but, but there's, there's no such thing as ghosts or haunted houses or places. Um, um, Maybe as you indicated, it was the medication. Uh, Maybe it's just, you wake up in a stupor and have no idea where you've been kind of thing, but, but be careful, be careful now. I also want to say this. There are times when we give demons an opening to mess with us. And a demon is completely capable of making a rocking chair uh, rock or move back and forth. Uh, Demons are capable of making noises and doing things. But but that's the demonic world, and of course you know Reuben, the way to to deal with that is simply to to run to Jesus. There's no value in rebuking the evil spirit or shouting at the evil spirit. We simply run in the presence of Jesus. He's a much better protector uh, of of our lives than we can protect ourselves. So um, um, again, no paranormal spirits. Good ones and bad ones are real things. Um, Just don't be confused. Get your um, perspective on the spirit realm from the Bible and not from the world that we live in. Reuben, I love your humility when you call. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line two and talk to Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for your patience. You're on the air.
1: Uh, hello. Hello, Pastor. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: Um, I just, just wanted to share you with quick. I, I was, uh, driving home from work and just listening to the program here, uh, in regards to the question that you had about, uh, a boring and, um, it just, it just, it's uh, so familiar, uh, something that I've been dealing with, 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 uh, with a family member. And, uh, so I got home and I had to check and they confirmed that they were the ones who sent that question in. And, um, I just, uh, I felt comforted because, uh, you know, the things that I shared with them, you know, you confirmed were, were good, were, were, I guess, right. And, um, I, uh, I'm so thankful that, you know, they reached out to you, advice that you gave. My question to you, sir, is, you know, as, uh, uh, I have a tendency, I guess, as a father and as a man, that when I share, when I share with, with relatives, uh, you know, I, I have this tendency of, of, I get kind of I guess trying to how can I say kind of pushy I guess trying to to understand it <laughs> and at times I can get kind of you know excited and kind of a little little loud <laughs> uh, after I, after the fact I realize that it doesn't help it doesn't help uh so my question to you you know I what what would uh, you advice like as far as when I'm when I'm trying to help someone or you know counsel someone um, like I said, I have that tendency of doing like that. I just just you know, wondering what you might might suggest,
3: uh, yeah, sir. Yeah, two two things. One, never give advice unless they ask for it. I think sometimes people want to vent or they want to say something, and we men obviously we're fixers at times, and we we want to help and we want to rescue. But the reality is that's not what they're asking to do. Um, I have that same tendency. You no, know, I'm not loud and and I don't get pushy. Uh, but, but there are times when I have to really take a step back and say, wait a minute, this person really isn't asking for my advice or my opinion on something. And and then my role simply is to listen and to pray. And if the Lord wants them to hear me, then they'll open that door. And one of the things that, that I've, I've always practiced, when people stop listening, I stop talking. I uh, didn't do that as a young Christian. I wanted to push everybody, and and uh, I think part of it. Sometimes we feel like we're the ones that can do this, when only the Holy Spirit can fix these issues. So I think that's the important thing: be discerning. Uh, one of the things that I'm always doing, Anonymous, when uh, I'm I'm talking with somebody or listening to somebody, I'm saying, Lord, give me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. If you have something that will penetrate this person's heart and give me a heart that really wants the best for them, and if this is a divine appointment, then you open that door so that he or she will listen to me. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is harder, the second thing is... Especially people that know us, relatives you mentioned, uh, people that, that we spend time with. Um, we have to be sure that our walk with the Lord is in a condition that would allow people to listen to us. You know, the Apostle Paul, and I tell my church all the time, every Christian ought to be able to say this every day. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, in, in our human condition, we think, oh, no, that's arrogant. I don't want anybody following me. But we, all of us, ought to be able to declare that. And so the person that you're trying to get a little bit pushy with or a little aggressive with, um, you know, you, you want to say, Lord, am I really demonstrating the love and patience of Jesus Christ here? And I've I've found a way for me. Now, maybe this will work for you. When people are sort of venting, and there's problems, and my brain is going off with solutions. I mean, I'm thinking of Bible verses and ways that I could help. Um, they don't give me that opening. I'll look at them and say, "If you thank you for sharing your heart, but if you ever really want to talk about solutions, or you want to fix these things, or you want to talk about something that's really important, I'll always be available to you. You know who I am. You know where I am. Or here's my number. I'll I'll always be willing to talk to you about it. I said two things. Let me mention a third one. Uh, It's not healthy to let people vent for a long time. So if somebody's giving you their problems or giving you difficult situations, then you can say, you know what, nothing of value is going to be accomplished by you continuing to talk about this situation. I just want you to know I'm sorry for your pain. I'll be here for you. And if you ever really want to talk about how to fix it or resolve this pain, then I'm going to be available to you. So thank you for that. I appreciate it very very much. 3409585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Benjamin. pastor on is Rome and the Catholic Church the whore of Babylon. Um the answer is no. Now Benjamin, I don't know what you've been been reading. Uh Dave Hunt wrote a book The Woman on the Beast and he identified Rome and the Catholic Church as the 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 the, the, the beast. Um, It is true that uh, the end times church, led by the false prophet, will be in Rome. We know that uh, to be true. Um, It will also be the Catholic Church in the sense of the universal church, not the Roman Catholic Church as we understand it, the religious entity, but it will be um, the, the universal church and it will take on many of the trappings of the Roman Catholic Church. So um, the, the the churches we know it today, the the Roman Catholic churches we know it today, is aberrant in their doctrine, um, out and out heretical in some of their doctrine. Um, but there is a remnant, however small, there is a remnant of true believers there. It is not a cult like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but but religion, organized religion... Isn't it interesting that in the end times, when the Antichrist is rebelling against all things religious, that religion is going to be the tool that he uses to unify the world to him. So yes, it will be in Rome. It will be called the Catholic Church, as in the Universal Church. But that's not the the Catholic Church that we understand today. You know, we can't take... A 2023 circumstance and apply it in the last seven years of the Great Tribulation um, because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Pretty soon, Benjamin, we will be, but um, we're not there yet. And I mentioned Dave Hunt. Uh, Dave Hunt happened to be a nice guy who loved Jesus, but but he he was a, a very, very difficult man to talk to. He's now with Jesus and probably... Really, really sorry for the difficulties he caused. Here's a question from Minnie. Minnie, I love this question. She says, when we pray, how are we supposed to see God? I like to envision a person, but I don't know if that's right. Um, Minnie, what, what you're doing is exactly right. We are to envision a person. In fact, that's why Jesus became a man. That's the value of the incarnation. In Hebrews 1 and, and in, in Colossians chapter 1, we're talking about he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact representation. In other words, if God the Father looked in a mirror, the image that he would see, if we were looking over his shoulder, we could see what would be the person of Jesus Christ. And And Jesus came because there's no way we could relate to God. God is spirit. He's not a body. The father doesn't have a physical body. Um, The the father is a consuming fire of holiness. There's no way we can relate to him. That's why Jesus took on human flesh. He left heaven. He left the worship of angels. He was placed in the womb of a teenage girl, came through the birth canal, and was born in abject poverty. Why so we could get him? So if you like to envision a person, it's simple. That person is Jesus Christ. Philip, don't you know that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus said. And so that's the person to envision. It's Jesus. Now, many in, in, in this is something I really struggled with. As a young Christian, I didn't know how to envision God. And as silly as this is going to sound... I used to envision the Father because I still today I start every day off with good morning, Father, good morning, Jesus, good morning, Holy Spirit. And I envisioned the Father as this mist, and I had a green mist, and it's probably an impression that the the movie The Ten Commandments uh, gave me. But this green mist, that was the Father, and I couldn't connect with him. And one day, as going through the the Word, especially Philippians chapter 2, it was Jesus saying to me, the Father and I are one. Jesus came to reveal the person of the Father, the character and the nature of the Father to us. And because he did that, we can touch him. What does Peter and John both say in their epistles? We didn't make this up. This is eyewitness testimony. We heard him. We touched him. Well, in the same way, not physically, but in the same way, we can touch Jesus. And many, here's what I did. I started praying to Jesus. That's Prayer is a conversation. And I'm not excluding the Father. I'm not excluding the Holy Spirit. But Jesus makes the Godhead touchable. And so my conversation all throughout the day is with Jesus. And after saying, good morning, Father, good morning, Jesus, good morning, Holy Spirit, my conversation throughout the day is with Jesus. He's the one who is the man. He was the one who took my punishment. He was the one that revealed the person of God to me. And I'll go one step farther. The Holy Spirit's role is to point to the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit would never draw attention to himself. His is to testify of Jesus, to lead us into truth by testifying of Jesus. So, many, that's the way, that's really the way that we can really have intimacy with God. It's just Jesus. Many, of you don't come to our church, at least I don't know anybody named many, but at our church, I don't think there's a message that goes by. Or I don't tell our people, just be with Jesus. Thank you for the question, Minnie. I appreciate it. And I think that will help you a lot. I know so, because it really helped me. Here's the last question of the day. This one is from May. She says Romans 11 says that Jews will return to God and receive Christ. When will that happen, and does it apply to all Jews? Um, Romans 11 also says, first, all Israel will be saved. But then he says, all not all Israel is Israel. Now, that's a play in the words. Not all Israel, the nation, is governed by God. So, it doesn't apply to all Jews what Romans 11 is speaking about. Once the full number of Gentiles come in, Jesus is going to come back. Jews who are being preserved through the last half of the Great Tribulation, they're going to be preserved in the rock city of Petra in modern-day Jordan. God is going to protect them from the wrath of the Antichrist. And then when he appears in the sky, Revelation chapter 19, they're going to look at him, the one they have pierced, And they're going to say, where did you get these wounds? He's going to say, I got these wounds in the house of my friend. And they're going to repent. The true Israel, those who are governed by God, those who were opposing God, but doing so like the Apostle Paul, out of zeal or with the right heart, they're going to recognize their failure to receive Christ. And they're the ones who are going to repent. Now, tragically, May, it says also, that two-thirds of the Jews, this is Zechariah chapters 12 and 14, two-thirds of the Jews are going to reject him and enter into an eternity of torment. Thanks for the question. Jesus is coming soon, everybody. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. Have a great church service on Sunday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And we'll see you next time. God bless.